G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. The hour after Focus on the Family. That's ahead of us on this Monday edition of 2020. As we do on a Monday, we like to keep abreast of what's happening in the nation politically, looking at the week's political agenda. And Martin Isles, the Managing Director of Australian Christian Lobby, back with us. Hello, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Thanks for having me again. Good to be with you. Good to have you on, Martin. Always appreciate your insights into all of the different issues, uh, those things that are across your desk, those things that are breaking in the news headlines. Uh, just before we get into anything political, of course, uh, they're having a real struggle up in North Queensland. So much water, so much rain, thousands of homes inundated. What are your thoughts for those in the north? Well, look, it's remarkable for one thing. I mean, I think there's over a 1,000 millimetres of rain in seven days, which is um, sort of more than 20% above the previous record, which is just over 800 millimetres in seven days. So it's, it's, it's really a, just a phenomenal uh, event. Look, I, I always say to people in these moments, um, look, we do just need to pray because uh, there's real lives. Um, we pray for safety, pray for emergency services. Uh, and all that's going on up there. And um, aside from prayer and giving donations to the various support groups, um, one of the things that's interesting to me is that in these moments, um, God can do lots of good through something which looks very challenging and difficult. And it's easy for me to say that because I'm not living in Townsville. Uh, but it is true. You know, I think of that verse in Genesis where Joseph says to his brothers, he says, what you meant for evil, God used for good. And uh, I just look at that, and I think it doesn't matter the circumstance. You know, God can be at work. And I like to pray for that as well, um, that God would be at work uh, in people's actual lives through these events that good would come. Because I think that's the way he does things sometimes, and he can do some tremendous good work through that. And like you, just honouring those emergency services, uh, people who are protecting us, uh, those who are rescuing, uh, all sorts of issues there. And uh, look, I'm even aware that there's the odd crocodile in the waters. So for those who are in oh, North yeah. Queensland and uh, and floodwaters rising, uh, do take care. You are in our thoughts and in our prayers. Some other significant issues that are happening around the nation, Martin, and something a little more political and some of the things that we often talk about, but thousands over the weekend took part in a pride march in Victoria and the Premier Daniel Andrews in Victoria uh, made some plans or announced some plans to ban conversion therapy. You've been following along that story. What's happening in Victoria? Well, this is this is something that I think people need to be more and more aware of. Premier has come out and said that he's going to investigate ways of making what they call LGBT conversion therapy unlawful. And it's interesting because that's not our term. That's, that's their term. Somebody made that up um, from within um, the LGBT ranks. And so we sit back and I think most of the listeners would hear that and they'd say, well, what on earth does that mean? Um, and that's the question. ACL's put out a uh, media release of, making calls uh, through lobbying on the Victorian government to define what on earth they mean by that statement. 
Um, most of us would think, okay, well, if they mean something to do with coercion or uh, something involuntary uh, or shock therapy or these crazy things that you hear about, um, of course, that who cares if that's illegal? Um, it doesn't matter because uh, nobody's doing that, um, and that's madness, and, and that's not any part of any mainstream Christian or other faith-based group. Um, but see, the difficulty is in the detail. Uh, what what some people refer to when they talk about conversion therapy is things as, as benign as prayer. So if somebody were to come to a pastor or a counsellor who's a Christian and ask for prayer and help, or perhaps a counselling session about unwanted same-sex attraction, or about uh, some uh, rapid-onset gender dysphoria, perhaps, a feeling of uh, loss of identity. Uh, all of these things are suddenly being referred to as gender conversion therapy, and and, 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 in fact, the Equal Opportunity Commissioner in Victoria specifically named these sorts of things uh, in, in, in the discussion of conversion therapy. And here's Daniel Andrews saying that it's bigoted quackery. Uh, well, it, it's not really. I mean, we're now talking about mainstream Christian practices, which is to support people through life and to uh, have a, uh, a doctrinal statement about what's the best way to live. Um, and to help people on a voluntary basis with those issues and to preach the possibility of real change in Jesus Christ. The, the only conversion known to Christian theology is conversion to Christ. Uh, and conversion to Christ then entails change, which is enabled by the Holy Spirit, and people are counseled and helped with that. And again, participation in that, of course, is completely voluntary. Um, and if the Victorian government wants to get involved in criminalizing or making illegal aspects of the gospel or aspects of Christian counseling or aspects of pastoral ministry, then you've got big problems. Um, and in fact, these are not just theoretical concerns. Um, we recently had a campaign against the Australian Labor Party's national policy platform, which specifically defined LGBT conversion therapy as claims that a person's gender identity or sexual orientation might be able to change. Now, they make those claims all the time, but what they're saying is that if a religious community makes those claims, that's going to be illegal. And if a parent doesn't affirm the chosen gender identity or sexual orientation of their kid at any particular point, they could be domestic abusers. That was actually in the policy. Now, all of these things are very serious attacks on religious freedom, serious attacks on uh, the Christian church and Christian teaching. Um, if that is going to be included in these policies and we need to fight them. Uh, and it's all being uh, carried under the umbrella of this euphemistic language that nobody quite knows what it means. Uh, so people need to be aware of this and they need to not just take it at face value, but look at the detail. Well, when we talk conversion therapy, uh, there's an interesting little twist in all of this because there seems to be a big nod for conversion therapy the other way because from my understanding there's four gender clinics operating in Australia uh, that are helping people to go the opposite direction. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, developments when it comes to gender clinics in Australia? Well, here's the great absurdity of the whole thing. I mean, um, if you look at these policies, they say that claims that a person's gender identity or sexual orientation can change uh, are wrong. And yet, that's the claim that they make all the time. The truth is, they just don't want us to make those claims with our view of the world. But these gender clinics and the safe schools program uh, and those activists that go into the school system, they can make these claims. And in fact, if you read the resources that they use, those resources always talk about how you should explore your gender identity, 
you should experiment with this one, you should experiment with that one, you should experiment with your sexual orientation and try different things there and find out who you are. So they're talking about having this fluid uh, gender identity and sexual expression, and that's fine. And the fruit of that has been, Neil, as you've just alluded to, that a lot of kids are now becoming increasingly confused about these matters. Uh, and, of course, that experiment, experiment narrative is starting to actually really hit home. And what we've seen, we're just uh, through a freedom of information request to a number of um, hospitals uh, throughout Australia, we've seen that there has been a 400% increase over four years in children actually receiving treatment uh, at gender clinics at major hospitals. And not only that, but if you look at the number of children who are at a very high level of treatment in inverted commas, that is they're actually receiving hormones, cross-sex hormones. So they're, they're starting on the path of irreversible gender reassignment as kids. The number of kids at that stage over the last four years has increased by 1,000%. Um, now, this is irreversible changes to children's bodies. And it's being done because of the fruits of programs like Safe Schools. It's deeply, deeply concerning. So if we're cutting through all the confusion here, Martin. What is your advice to people who are a part of a local church? And I know you were talking about when the pastor has some sort of official counselling session with someone, but I've had in my mind, as you were describing those things just a little earlier, even the idea that so many churches have a prayer line at the end of a message, and it's not uncommon for someone to come forward, and uh, it may not even be the pastor. It could be one of the elders, one of a ministry team, in a local church uh, who might be asked to pray for someone. And, uh, and so what is, what's your advice about how you actually engage in this? Because simple prayer for someone, if that's gender uh, conversion uh, therapy, uh, then that's, uh, that's going to put us all into deep water. What are your thoughts for the ordinary person and for the leader in the local church? Well, the first thing is the law hasn't changed yet, so we carry on as usual. But when the law does change, depending on the detail, you're quite right, Neil. Um, it may be difficult to tell whether or not those sorts of actions are actually captured by the law, where whether if someone came forward and said, look, Pastor, the truth is um, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction and it's not something that's happened to me before. I really would like you to pray for me. Um, now, that pastor might be caught in a situation under these laws where he goes, oh, is this even legal? Or worse still, is this a setup? Um, now, I think that churches and pastors need to talk about that, about how they deal with it. But ultimately, we have to use this principle, and that is that we cannot stop being the church and we cannot stop being Christians. We can't stop teaching truth. We can't stop telling truth. And much of all, we can't stop, you know, uh, proclaiming any aspect of the gospel because Jesus says go into all the world and preach the gospel and what does the gospel say conversion to Christ is real change in Christ is real and if we stop saying that or if we water down that message I think I think that that will be a far worse cost um, than than um, uh, than say praying for somebody and thinking hmm I wonder if the law says that's okay I think there's a point at which you have to say look the uncertainties presented by the law are not sufficient for me to be stopped from doing the right thing. That would be my basic line of defense on that. Um, but, of course, the details are yet to be made known. But the problem we've got now is, is the church going to be able to continue to do what it does? Um, and that's the question. 
lots more to talk about when it comes to that issue. And no doubt we're talking about young people, perhaps primarily when it comes to uh, issues of gender confusion. There's a little new research that's come out about teens and religion in Australia. Uh, what is it showing about young people in Australia? Well, this is interesting. Uh, so it's a Generation Z study, so teenagers in Australia. And it's been done by the Australian National University and Deakin uh, University. So it's a, it's a bit of a, uh, a, a coalition of academics. And um, I would say that what that's showing is um, one thing that people are not, won't be surprised about, which is that young people are quite irreligious uh, in that category. But something else that's interesting is this. I would actually say the better description from this survey is to say that Generation Z is the I'm spiritual but not religious generation. What I mean by that is you've got, um, you've got a huge number of them uh, that believe in God or some sort of God-like thing, um, so a higher force or power. And it's a total of 67%, uh, which is a lot. Only 30% of them said God. I think it was 37% said some other kind of deity. Um, and despite the fact that 52% don't identify with any religion. So there's a spiritual aspect to this generation, though it is not associated with organized religion. Um, uh, but within that, there's still 12% that go to church every week, which is quite high. So it seems like there's this core rusted-on small group of regular churchgoers. But the bulk of their generation of people who say, I reject religion, I reject the Christian God, uh, but I don't reject spirituality. Now, uh, that's a bad thing and a good thing. The bad thing, because I think what it does is it, it sends people searching for the spiritual in all the wrong places, and it really probably lends itself to a sort of a pagan understanding of spirituality, which is sort of the spirit within and ideation of the self and the pursuit of the self and all that sort of stuff. Um, it goes along with the LGBTI gender and stuff. So it's a bit, it's a bit dangerous, but at the same time, it means that people are not fully closed off matters spiritual, not fully closed off to God. And in that group, I think it's 56% had never, ever attended a church. Uh, and so there's a mission field that uh, is awaiting. And no doubt too, Martin, our attitudes need to be checked. Whenever we hear statistics that might seemingly be bad, because uh, for some that sounds like a threat and the alarm bells go off, uh, for others that becomes the biggest opportunity and uh, a positive outlook on that no doubt uh, is necessary. Let's, uh, let's talk too about another big issue uh, politically that's happening today, the final four children on Nauru, about to be uh, shipped off to the United States. Uh, what are your thoughts for uh, for this development, uh, so far as children in detention centres? Well, I think that's a good thing, Neil. I mean, ACL has, um, you know, a lot of people don't realise we've done a lot of work on refugees, and one of the things that we have um, pushed for and have been quietly lobbying around has been uh, the removal of children from Nauru. Uh, we've been cautious about that because we're aware of the sensitivities, we're aware of the difficulties. Uh, it's all a matter of, you know, how do you actually make this happen in a way that's safe? How do you make it happen in a way that doesn't send the wrong signals to, you know, people smugglers and so forth in Indonesia? How do you do it all in a way that... Uh, and also get through all the, all the processing hurdles and so forth that are involved in getting them over to the US. So it's been long, it's been complicated, but it's done. And that's a really good thing. Um, I would say there's been two, a tale of two worlds here a little bit. Uh, a lot of activists have tried to paint 
the situation as desperately inhumane as human rights abusing and all the rest of it. Um, we've always been satisfied that that, that that hasn't been the case for a long time. Uh, those kids were not in detention centres. You often see pictures on the news articles of them behind wire. That's just misrepresentation. They've actually been living in the community on Nauru, in houses. Uh, they've been buying from the shops. They've been playing in the streets. They've been going to school. Their parents have got jobs. Some parents have even bought businesses. Um, so it's, 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 the situation's been humane. Uh, the difficulty is, of course, they have an unmet expectation that they wanted to come to Australia and it hasn't happened. And I'm quite sure that's a difficult circumstance for anyone to find themselves in. But, you know, whilst not accepting that human rights abuse narrative, we have said, look, the right thing to do is get, get kids out um, of, of, of that island and get them into a, a safe life somewhere and a new life. And that's exactly what's happened, which is a good thing. So I would say to people, just be circumspect about this stuff. There's two narratives, two worlds that are, that are portrayed out there. Uh, the truth is actually somewhere in the middle. And I am a big believer in the fact that in order to be humane, you do have to make sure that the people smuggling stops because you don't want people drowning. You don't want people smugglers in business, but you do want a humanitarian program where you get to select the most needy from around the world and bring them here as refugees through the proper channels. That's the best solution to this whole thing. Martin, one more quick issue, a quick comment from you, because the Hain report is about to be passed on to the government today. Uh, of course, that's the report from the Royal Commission that's looked into financial misconduct right across the uh, financial services sector, and it uh, looks as though the government's poised to accept all of the recommendations of that Hain Royal Commission. What are your thoughts on, on the fact that this is eventuated, uh, the government will have that report in their hot little hands today? Well, uh, look, this is a tricky one as well. I mean, I, I think that all of the reports um, that, that, that have come through of, of uh, misconduct by financial institutions very serious, need to be taken seriously, uh, and I think the government needs to do the best it can uh, to resolve that issue uh, because I do think there's a question uh, of just um, greed and financial abuse that we need to be very careful about. But, of course, I'm one of these people that also says, look, if you over-regulate a sector, then you're going to actually grind things to a halt. And uh, even during the Royal Commission, um, you know, I- industry insiders would have said, look, the housing market really went off the boil because these guys weren't lending because uh, they were getting, you know, beaten around for lending too much. So they stopped lending and had all of these unintended consequences. So I want to see something uh, that comes out of that, which solves some of the real difficulties that people have faced, but doesn't go too far, uh, because I do believe also that people should be responsible. But... Um, and you also can't, you can't force businesses to be virtuous through laws and policies. There's a limit, you know. You need people to be virtuous. And that's something that, as a society, we sometimes lose track of. Uh, we lose track of the fact that virtue, character, they come from within the person. And uh, we're so often appealing to power and appealing to governments to fix people's hearts, to fix people's minds, to make people do the right thing. And I say that's good and that's part of the reason government exists. But there's a limit. Uh, and if you overestimate what governments are able to do, you could run into real trouble uh, because uh, we need to keep focusing on the fact that people, uh, their character needs to be right. 
Well, Martin Niles, always so appreciate your insights. Uh, Martin is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Let me point listeners to the ACL website, Australian Christian Lobby. It's acl.org.au. Good resource, good articles. Find out the latest thought as it's developing as uh, to the Christian perspectives that you might have on the news headlines as you're seeing them on the news. Martin, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.